This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And it is episode 500. 500? What a big number. What a big stupid number that is. I really can't believe it. Mm -hmm. I know it's true because we're here. It's on this YouTube stream. We're doing a stream for this episode, which Andrew thought was a cool idea. <laughs> I thought it was a cool, you know, I that feeling in the pit of my stomach I get before we do a live show, which we haven't done since before my son was born, but that queasy, like flop sweat kind of feeling, I feel that now except for my computer in case it crashes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's the one that all the streaming stuff is, is running on, but so well, far so good. We're here, and if you're listening to this after the fact, we have a very... Uh, cool, chill, excited chat uh, watching this recording along with us. Um, we're very happy to have all of them here. It's very nice. Everyone seems very sweet. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to keep up with it while we talk about the book this week. <laughs> I'll, I'll look, I guess. I'll keep, I got an eye on it. You know, we'll do our best. Cool. Um, did you know? So I looked up the, I think I did this for episode 102. I looked up the Wikipedia page for the number 500, which I always feel like is a fun exercise, <laughs> just in case there's anything stupid on the page. And indeed, indeed we do. There is something stupid. Did you know that in the UK and ostensibly in the United States of America, that monkey is slang for $500 or 500 pounds? Across the pond, like that's gonna cost this TV is gonna cost me a cool. It's gonna monkey. cost you a monkey. It's gonna cost you two monkeys, monkey and a half. Whoa, that's I, I've never heard that, and I feel like this is the work of Wikipedia pranksters. Ooh, but why does it? Why though? Why would it be monkey? <laughs> it really puts a whole new spin on. Gotta get this monkey off my back. It's like I've got monk. I've got money burning a hole in my pocket, and I've got to go spend this monkey. It's all about the monkeys, baby. That's that mm-hmm. more, Daddy song. More, more monkey, more problems. <laughs> Welcome to our book okay. podcast, where every week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Uh, we've been doing it for over 500, ep- well, 500 official episodes. We have some limited release series, et cetera, et cetera. Some small batch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are here for big milestone eps. We tend to uh, both read a book or we pick a book that but we both know. It's just more fun. Or just that one way. that's really horny. This one's, mm, mm. This one's like, <laughs> this is not that. But yeah, we, make, we try to make it special. We and do try to make it special. Often it do, that does correlate strongly with horniness, but not this time. Not this time. So what book did we read this week, Andrew? We read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by Stig Larsson, originally published in Sweden as Men Who Hate Women, which is a better title for it. It is a better title for this book. 
I kind I understand the English language branding that they did for this series, mm-hmm. but Men Who Hate Women is a way more accurate title. Men Who Hate Women book. is a more accurate title. The middle-aged journalist with a chip on his shoulder would be a more accurate title. Like the girl with the dragon tattoo, she's in it. She's pivotal, but Yeah. A lot more page time dedicated to uh, the other guy. That is very true. That is very true. <laughs> now, had you you have not read any of these books? I've not read, read any the of book. these books. Ain't seen the film either the English one or the Swedish one. I saw the David Fincher 2011 film with mm-hmm. uh, James Bond and Rooney Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if that was pre or post Social Network, but that was like. 2011 i think would have been post i think all the time about how that movie is now the first in a trilogy that's gonna show like the collapse of society (laughs) (laughs) not the girl with the dragon tattooed but the the social network i feel like they need to come back to it and be like well okay now it's not about some guy in college who screwed another guy over it's about uh undoing the fabric that ties us all together yeah well and it's all going to be scored by trent reznor and atticus ross so that's yeah, yeah same yeah, guys yeah. they'll do a great and, and they'll do a great job um i'm confident yeah so we're gonna talk about this book and we're going to talk about mr larson who wrote it mm-hmm. uh he was born in 1954 in there Skel- he is say hi to stig everybody oh you you brought up the photo of stig welcome yeah stig. i did there's stig <laughs> all right bye stig um stig larson born 1954 passed away in 2004 uh he died at the age of 50 walking up the stairs to his office uh he apparently had a very terrible diet uh yes and was probably suffering from some untreated heart disease Mm -hmm. um very it has that has kind of cast a shadow as you might think over people's relationship to these books because they all came out after he died, right? Yeah, like, my, my understanding is that the they had been accepted for publication in Sweden before he died. He had, he had planned a 10-book series, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big swing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, he was, he's a journalist. He, he had published some nonfiction. Like, he, he is known in particular for his work, like, documenting and exposing the far-right and uh nazis in sweden and elsewhere so you know doing the lord's work (laughs) but um but yeah before any of them came out he died and so they all they all came out in like 2004 2005 i don't i don't know all the swedish i I know the the original came out in 2004 in sweden and then when they're uh translated into english first one came out in 2008 the second two came out in 2009 yep yep yeah. Um, and the second one is the girl who played with fire. The third one is the air castle that was blown up, which <laughs> I think the English title is the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. The <laughs> Swedish title fa- wins that's my out. Favorite, it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. <laughs> um, and those are now considered the Millennium Trilogy named for the namesake uh, like leftist magazine that the journalist at the heart of this book runs mm-hmm. and then so he passes away his longtime partner whom he never they never married be- this is ava gabrielson yes they never married for like tax reasons or something 
I didn't see that it was tax reasons. I've read both in the wiki page and then also on stiglarson.com, which I cannot for the life of me tell how officially licensed this is. Like, Mm. I don't know where this information is coming from, but they didn't get married because he was worried that his work exposing the far right would leave her open to. Yes death threats because apparently at the time when you got married in in sweden it was that's what it was like it it was the law that you had to publish your address publicly yeah that's what it was which is a wild like you you want to you want to prove that you love this person put your address in the newspaper you gotta you gotta name it you gotta put it out there you gotta live together if you really love this person you will dox yourself (laughs) and and he had he he had gone through enough death threats and like near misses being like beat up uh, and maybe even killed by neo-Nazis that there is, I found a Rolling Stone profile called The Mystery of the Dragon Tattoo and going on to the author where there's like people are out there wondering if Nazis poisoned him, if he faked his own death, like that didn't happen. I don't. Nobody with any ties to him is claiming such a thing. But, but then you read this book, there. and it's like, hmm, hmm. maybe though. Hmm. The other thing that is interesting about his biography, as we understand it now, a lot of it, especially related to the book, is run through the filter of uh, Ava Gabrielson because she purportedly has a computer with the unpublished fourth novel on it. That he was working or versions yes, of it. So like the, uh, the first like three quarters or 200 pages, I've, I've seen different figures quoted, but allegedly most of a fourth book that she has in some interviews said that she would be capable of finishing and then outlines for a fifth and sixth. Yes. And she also was somewhat involved in the publication of those original original three books. We don't. You know, there are varying quotes on what she did and did not do. Yeah, she said uh, the so she has rejected the idea that she like wrote parts of them because that has been has been floated. Uh, she says the actual writing, the craftsmanship was Stig's, but the content is a different matter. There are a lot of my thoughts, ideas, and work in there, which I mean it makes sense if this is if this person is your longtime partner, you probably shared like your work with them as it is a work in progress, or if you're going to like investigate locations and you're taking them with you, like yeah, some of that other person is going to end up in that work whether yeah. they're yeah. quoted or uh, credited for it or not but, it's yeah. become a bigger news story because when he passed away because they were not married all of the rights and the royalties and everything reverted to his family i think it's his father and his brother who to hear her tell it he was not particularly close to um, she wrote a book about it called There Are Things I Want You to Know About Stieg Larsson and Me, <laughs> um, <laughs> where we get a lot of this stuff firsthand from her. And yeah, I, you know, I think these books have a because they are mysteries, because they are thrillers, because as we'll talk about a lot of the content and the themes of the novel are wrapped up in what larson was interested in as a person and as a journalist yep. mm-hmm. which is the far right yeah and boinking people <laughs> well i don't know if she talks about how much boinking he does but um yeah like there's a 
great temptation to overlap Mikael Bloomquist or Mika, as we'll probably call him throughout. Our, our buddy Mika. Our yep. buddy Mika, the, the journalist and investigator, um, to like one for one his biography with Larson's. And while there's a lot similar, there's also probably differences that are not accounted for. And because he's not alive to, you know, counter any of this, it's just this thing that is out there and is part of the popularity of the stories. Yeah, um, yeah, did you yeah, see yeah. how he... I, there was a story I saw, Andrew, about how he got into the like arguing with the far right, mm-hmm. where he was really into sci-fi zines in the seventies, and he was writing, he was publishing in like fanzines and stuff, and mm-hmm. then somebody wrote in like a commentary letter, and they were clearly a fascist, and he was like, <laughs> "No fascists in my sci-fi zone, please." Yeah, and just he was very disturbed by a thing that we unfortunately know to be very true today that in his generation like the generation after world war ii mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. were people his age that were nazis yeah um, and so he kind of set off on this lifelong crusade and pu- founded this magazine called expo which is basically what the millennium magazine is uh, millennium is about financial crimes yeah, mostly yeah. but yeah. that's a good point that's a good point um but basically trying to expose this extreme right racist stuff that was cropping up in the 90s in Sweden specifically. And he was like, we got to talk about this, please. Um, and yeah, then then I think the story goes that he the magazine was running out of money or something. And so he's like, I got to publish a book to make some money. I guess I'll write a crime <laughs> novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and- it's it is it's funny what happens, isn't it? When it when a nation when a group of of people fails to engage critically with its own history it is funny that is that's it's hilarious what can happen you know what else is funny was was that funny what's funny is it is 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 jerry seinfeld he's a funny guy (laughs) that guy no he's not that guy's really bad at comedy um The uh, the thing that I was going to say was if you translated, if your name was Stephen T. Murray and you were the one responsible for translating this book into English. I'm glad you got Stephen T. Murray. I got some Stephen T. Murray facts as well. Yeah. So, the one that I found that I thought was pretty funny was he thought that the English publisher did a bad job with his English translation and changed it too much. So he said, I'm taking my name off. Call me Reg Keeland, please. <laughs> Is that the story of why he's <laughs> credited as Reg Keeland? <laughs> well, now yeah. I don't know. Now I don't. So uh, Stephen T. Murray, born 1943, died 2018. He translated these three, the three Larson penned millennium books, not, not yeah. any of the subsequent ones. Uh, into English. He also translated works from Swedish, Danish, Norwegian, Spanish, and German. I have hard enough time with the one language yeah, that, I, that Andrew, I know. A lot of people around the world know a lot of languages. It's, we it's are true. not them. We no, are we're, not them. We're bad, yeah. Um. Um, and yeah, like the translation is fine. Now I don't know whether to blame uh, Reg Keeland or the, the publisher, but yeah. there's some... There's some clunky stuff that I that reads like something that's being translated overly literally. Um, I will try to remember to talk about it when we talk about the computers in the book, because there is a <laughs> there is one big example there that I think really uh, exemplifies everything I'm talking about. But, yeah, it's fine. 
there's one there's one when uh Mika is going to meet the corporate overlord that's going to hire him for the plot of the book and he says something he says something to the effect of like Henrik was a really big fish and you're like what <laughs> no one would say really big fish unless they're going to a ska concert um what else i guess the other thing to talk about before we get into the book proper is just the like the versions of the origin story of where this book came from like mm-hmm. particularly the character of Lisbeth Sounder um there is a version the titular girl with the dragon tattoo yes, yes yes um she okay so there's a story out there that Larson told two people that when he was a teenager, uh, he witnessed and stood by while friends of his raped a woman. Mm -hmm. And that has stuck with him and it has informed his like crusade against misogynist, racist, reactionary, fascist Nazis. Um, There are at least one or two instances where people who worked with him said that they heard him say he heard that story rather than experience it himself. But I'm fairly certain that Gabrielson says he did experience that. So that's out there. You'll see it in like, if you read up on these books, you will kind of see that version of the story out there. The other thing I found was that there's a lot in his notes, I think about his niece, uh, Therese, who uh, was like into jujitsu, dressed exactly like Lisbeth does. Um, he talked to her a lot while he was writing the novel. Um, there's a lot from this. Is, a lot of it's coming from a f- coworker of his, Curdo Boxy, who said that he was probably basing this character a lot on his niece as well. So mm-hmm. wherever it's coming from, it's clear that he is drawing on a specific, I think he is drawing on like some pretty specific ideas of who this character is and inspired by a real or realish people that he's ever thought about as opposed to like just generating her out of the stereotypes that you think she might be from. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a very like, (laughs) I feel like this book and the matrix are drawing from some of the same Mm ideas about sure. what a computer look a, a computer hacker <laughs> looks like and spends their time doing it's just like a lot of a lot of moodiness and, and black clothes yes yes um and this is so the the book is is it, it came out in 2004 it's clearly being written in 2002 2003 and that's when it takes place too so it is very of that time in terms of the computer stuff in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is a real, it was a real treat for me. I don't know. We might want to talk about it like in the context of the story, which we should probably get into. Yeah. Soon, yes. Yeah, but, for sure. But it goes into an astonishing amount of detail on some computer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it um, made me so happy. <laughs> yes. Andrew, if it isn't obvious after 500 episodes, I like talking to you. Well, thanks. I like talking to you as well. But I don't want to talk to you about everything. Is that okay? (laughs) I mean, I guess, yeah, not everything. Like, I don't want to put the onus on you to give me all the help that I need. No, and I don't want to, like, help you with, like, grocery lists or or other kind of stuff. 
Well, there, yeah, there's stuff. The, the boundaries are important. <laughs> sometimes when it's like really tough stuff, uh, I don't want to like put that on you. I might need something. Might need something better, Andrew. Mm-hmm. You might need a better kind of help. Yeah, like our sponsor, BetterHelp, <laughs> which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, so you don't have to talk about it on a podcast with your friend. You can send a message to your counselor at any time, and you can schedule and join weekly video or phone sessions without uh, waiting in an uncomfortable waiting room or uh, working one more commute into your schedule, things like that. The service is available for clients worldwide. Uh, and as I said before, you can find a licensed uh, therapist that matches your needs. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Andrew, I got more to say. Is that okay? It's it. Yeah, of course. You know, that's... I, I dream of hearing you... Talk to me some more about stuff. You know that corn song, Adidas? I don't know that corn song, Adidas, but Where he says, all day I dream about sex? Yeah. I have my own version. What of it? I have my own Uh version, Adidab, all day I dream about books. (laughs) Which means that all day, every day is the perfect occasion to tell you about book dreams, Andrew. Okay. It's a show for everyone who loves books. (laughs) <laughs> and it, and they miss English class, and they want to listen to co-host Julie Sternberg and Evie Halem explore all sorts of book-related topics, things like magic and witchery and historical fiction and corruption and investigative reporting, just like the book we're talking about today. They're discussing it all a guest at a time. Folks like Nat Geo's Brian Christie, freedom writer Charles Person, and most recently, Andrew, the gothic fantasy artist known only as Brom. Ooh, the Banksy of gothic. <laughs> All day I dream Books. about book dreams, which is all brought day to you. I dream about Brom. Oh, hey, book dreams is brought to you by the Podglomerate. New episodes run every Thursday. You can listen by subscribing to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to our show. Yeah. So tell me about the the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo, or tell me about the middle aged financial journalist who has come upon hard times, because those are the two <laughs> protagonists. Those are our two protagonists, and I did not. I don't remember how this is handled in the movie, um, but. There's a lot of Mr. Bloomquist first. There's a lot of Mika first. There's a lot. And there are a lot of very detailed descriptions of like financial crimes. Yeah. (laughs) But like his deal as, as we, as the book opens, he has been found guilty of libel. Yes. He has. Because it's Europe and you can be found guilty of libel. You can. (laughs) Well, he's been found guilty of, of, publishing uh libelous things about this big time fancy investor boy mr Venerstrom, uh, uh, right mr Venerstrom. Venner, hans eric Venerstrom. Venerstrom, yes 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 hans eric Venerstrom, which is a like a fat cat businessman name if i ever heard one. yeah it's pretty his name is like bigger and takes up more space on the page than anyone else's in the book yeah which is like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's just this big rich jerk off like <laughs> but uh so we are 
as sometimes happens, even though we are pretty much in Mika's head, we yeah. are not getting the full story about what went down with this this piece that apparently has gotten him in some hot water. But the court has found him guilty. He's been sentenced to like two or three months in prison. And he is sort of disgraced as a financial writer because it turns out that he is the one true principled financial journalist who's willing to tell it like it is. And his publication, Millennium, is also willing to tell it like it is. But now they've all got egg on their face because they told it like it wasn't, you know? Yeah, it we get a little bit that he uh, was famous for this bear gang that he caught, which was a group of <laughs> bank robbers that he saw in a house next to his Airbnb or whatever and was like, oh, I think I should call the cops. And then, I think they called them hostels in, in Europe. Fair in enough. Um, 19 whatever. And, uh, and so he becomes this hotshot journalist. And then, yeah, three months in jail, which I guess he's going to serve whenever. It goes a little while before he has to report to the prison. I mean, there's still an administrative state. I he, he doesn't pose. I mean, yeah, I guess there's a, a chance yeah. that he could go out and do more libel to other people while he's not in jail. <laughs> but he's not. Like, I think I, he's not a murderer. No, and I'm not even saying that he should have gone to jail. I'm just I was kind of struck by the ambiguity in the book where they barely even talked about the sentence for a book that is very into processes and things mm-hmm. and details mm-hmm. really left it kind of up to the wind as to when he was going to have to show up. Um, and he we also, have, owes- we have oh, go ahead. somebody in the, somebody in the chat, I think needs you to spell out more facts about the gang of bears. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, somebody else asked, is bank robbery considered a financial crime? I ah. think he, he pivoted from, crime into financial journalism i think yes. it's it's described in some detail in yes. the book but uh, it is not a direct no, no. That, that's not what the book is saying uh and we're spending a lot of time okay the bear gang it was a group of guys who wore masks i think is sort of like the open it's sort of like the guys from point break or but the then opening. they pivoted to wearing disney masks right they were like donald oh, Duck that's why they were the bear gang you're right you're yeah. right you're mm-hmm. right um i I blocked out large parts of the beginning of this book because it didn't really make it's sense like, to me. It's like Mark Zuckerberg. They were getting some bad press, so they changed the name. Oh, I mm. see, I see. Yeah, getting, um, getting, getting a little meta. He owes a lot of money, <laughs> and the big thing... Christ. People in the chat are going to say that was The big thing is he went in on this story based on some tips from a guy he got drunk on a boat with. Yeah, an old school chum who he got drunk on a boat with. And most of it seemed pretty damning of Mr. Vennerstrom. Uh, I don't really understand it, except something something took money from the Swedish government to set up a cardboard factory in Poland and then like closed up shop before any of it happened because they were like funding economic development in the Eastern Bloc after the wall came down. And they and like the the, the summary for this crime is they misuse government funds. Yeah. But we get pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of like the detailed descriptions of everything that went down. And even Mika is being like, Does this story have a point? Are you gonna get are you gonna get to something <laughs> eventually? Yep. And he's like, all right, well, that this sucks. My story sucks. Um, mm-hmm. And we cut over to uh, Ar- Armonsky is the guy who Lizbeth works for. Yeah, he runs like the security for- firm. Um, I was rereading his introduction and I was, this will 
make a little more sense why that I think this is important later. But he is from Croatia. He was born mm-hmm. to Muslim and Jewish parents. He is clearly he is an immigrant. He is clearly an outsider to Stockholm. And so his motivations when it becomes time to like, why is he taking care of this employee, uh, Lisbeth, who seems a little like who how does she fit into society and maybe yeah, she's a little she's a little uh, she's a little antisocial, a yep. little kind of out of step with the people who she's working with. Yeah. Armansky feels like a corrective to all of the white supremacist relatives that we're going to meet in the middle of nowhere. Boy, yeah, we are going to meet a lot of Nazi uncles. Um, and so, th- and he doesn't really factor into the rest of the book other than he is there to like be a touchstone for Elizabeth and help move some plot along, but he exists. But he's also there to do like this, this book's relationship with, with Elizabeth and with yeah. sex and with the people who are all attracted to her. It gets very like fraught in a way that I don't think we're going to be able to do justice to, but like, that's okay. He gets like drunk and like sort of gropes her a little at a party. Yeah. And, but she thinks he's basically a good egg. And so that's kind of where the book leaves it. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. And he is also rather than introduce us to her through her own POV, we are introduced to her through him, which is its yes. own, I think. And the, the gist of it yeah. basically is like she's a weirdo, but she's really good at her job, which is to dig up dirt on people. Yeah, she looks like someone you'd meet. Like she looks like someone that Hot Topic based its aesthetic on, as opposed to someone who actually goes to Hot Topic. Yes, right. Like Hot Topic watered down her aesthetic and yeah. and put Funko Pops next to it, and that's that's Hot Topic. Yeah, and it is it is talked about throughout the book that she is a victim of abuse, and that it is possible and albeit likely that this aesthetic that she's adopted a lot of it is to make her off-putting to people to protect herself Um, and specifically men specifically to men yeah um and she has a guardian named palmgren who's gonna have a stroke and she's gonna get a bad one we'll talk about that and she has a mom in a nursing home i feel like you mentioned earlier that larson had a 10 book plan. Yeah. And I, I think that some of the stuff with Salander in this book is a result of him having this long plan for her as a character. Yeah. I've, and, and we'll probably end up reading the, at least the next second, two, and, I think. second and third books for the, the show. And so maybe she'll be more centered in the, in the next ones. But yeah, it definitely feels like, she is being set up as a like a fully fleshed out character. You you come to sort of understand her perspective and her and her life, and you get to know her a little bit. But she's not the person that the story kind of pivots on. No, but she's clearly being set up to be that way. Do you want me to show some pictures of on screen portrayals of Lisbeth? At Please, this point? I have these. I put all these pictures in here with these fancy slides. So while here's you, Rooney Mara. While you do this, can I this read role. the quote that Larson gave about one of his inspirations for Elizabeth? Yes. Okay. So, not only is it maybe based on a woman he knew or his niece, he also makes multiple references to the author Astrid Lindgren in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bloomquist's name is a reference to Kala Bloomquist, who's a detective that Lindgren wrote there's a character named Lindgren somewhere and he says 
what would Pippi Longstocking have been like today? What would she have been like as an adult? What would she be called? A sociopath? I created her as Elizabeth Salander, 25 years old and extremely isolated. She doesn't know anyone, has no social competence. I mean, that's not... We we posited when we read Pippi Longstocking that she was a Greek god who cared not for our mortal struggles, but would occasionally get involved because she finds us entertaining. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I don't think that's that far off of No. This. What's it isn't. the name of the um the the actor who played uh Lisbeth in oh, the in the Swedish I think it's Numi Numi Rapachi, I think. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There, um, she, there she is too. So they, you so you see the how the how the movies have chosen like a lot of piercings, which I are described in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh short haircut, spiky black Lots Clothes. of yeah, yeah. Yes. There you go. Um and so she's gonna get involved in the Bloomquist plot because some lawyer has shown up to her boss and is like, Hey, we need to investigate this journalist. I don't remember yeah. exactly where we are in the sequence, but that's that's how that's gonna go down. Yeah, it's it's inter it, like it, you get small splashes of her perspective intercut with all of the descriptions of financial crimes. <laughs> yeah, in the early part of the book, and 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 so did, you know she looks into this guy. She thinks that this libel thing against him was kind of it kind of seems something seems off about it. He didn't defend himself adequately in court against it, like. She and and she gets a good vibe from him, basically. And we we learn much later that she, in addition to finding all this like dirt and these facts on people, she does like she she does take how she feels about that person into account when writing up her report. So if it's somebody who she thinks is a real heel and yeah. maybe has a history of of abusing women or or doing you know, other really unspeakable, like secret things. She will like play that up in the report and like leave no stone unturned and everything will, you know, everything will be in there. Whereas with Mika, the the report, you know, it doesn't go all the way into his sex life. Cause he seems like he's okay. And that's a thing that two consenting adults can do if they want to. And yep. like, I'm not here to make a value judgment on that. It's just something that she every time somebody admits that objectivity is fake, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can get behind that. <laughs> um, so Nora in the chat points out that we didn't mention. So there were three Swedish films I think that have been made. There was yes. the first American film, and then they did another one in 2018 with a different cast with Claire Foy as Elizabeth. Um, that was the girl in the spider web, which I think is the first of the second trilogy of books. By Lagerkrantz, David Lagerkrantz, who's writing the rest of them. Um, mm-hmm. And he is not basing them on anything Larson wrote except the original novels. He doesn't have any. It's not like a Sanderson situation. I didn't um, dig extensively into the critical reception of those. It might be interesting just to do the fourth one after we do the first three, just so we can, yeah, just to see. But. I watched a one minute YouTube video where he was super hype about this character. And I, he was just I'm like, sh- I'm yelling sure at he, the camera am, about how much he am, loves this character. I'm sure he is thrilled to be here. <laughs> like, hello person who was brought on to an already successful series to continue it. Like, yeah, of course you love this character. Yeah. The huh? It's your meal ticket for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, yep. What are you talking about? Um, okay, the book starts moving when uh, Dirk Fude 
reaches out to Mika. He is a lawyer for the Va- for someone in the Vanger family. Henry Vanger. Vanger. He he is the lawyer who had had yes, uh, you're right. Elizabeth's company run this background check on Mika in the first place. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, Mr. Bloomquist, you are disgraced. We would like to hire you for something. I can't tell you about it. You got to come to this remote village head to be You've uh, got to spend a night in a haunted house. And you have to meet house. my old boss, and he's going to tell you what he wants. And there's some back and, and his, forth. And his old boss is like this. He's a really big fish. Aging, like, titan of industry whose whose company has seen better days. But yeah. he, because he is a financial, a crackerjack financial reporter, he does know about this guy. Yes. And after some Banger. back and forth, he's like, you know what? I'll go. I should probably distance myself from the magazine for a few months. I'm going to have to go to prison anyway for a few months. I don't really know Just whenever what they do. get around to it. Yeah, whenever they get around to it. I don't really know what to, <laughs> he's kind of bummed that he doesn't know what move to take with Venerstrom. And that's a recurring theme through like the first half of the book. So he takes on when he eventually takes on this job. Partially, it's just because he can't face his own failure and doesn't know what to do next in that arena. So he goes out to this island he meets the old man. The old man's like, hey, I hired your dad once when you were a kid, and you spent a summer here when you were three. Don't you remember? <laughs> um, it's and very... Mika's like, no. He's <laughs> like, no, I don't. And Wenger's like, yeah, but remember but, that but truck obviously... I gave you? He's like, I do remember the truck, but like, also, obviously, you're trying to emotionally manipulate me. <laughs> It's pretty. I do like that scene because a lot of it is like Vanger is clearly manipulating him. Uh, Mika's like, but also it's kind of working, working. and that's how that's how I I get mad about that when I know <laughs> that I'm being manipulated and it's working. Yeah, it's true. I like it. Um, and he's like, mostly I hate my family. This is basically succession. They're all Nazis, and I hate them. Um, and my what is Martin his nephew? Martin's his nephew. Yeah, his nephew, but he's sort of like a son to him. Yes. and Much he, like Martin's sister, Harriet, is a lot like a daughter to him. Now, and here's the rub. Martin is running the company. He's doing an okay, but sort of bad job. Like, the 90s he's, have not been kind to the Vangers. Yeah, like, he, he is fighting a, a sort of rear guard action. Like, he, he, is, he is doing all right, but it's clear the direction that things are going. Correct. Um, and... He's like, listen, I got two jobs for you. I need you to write a biography of my family. But actually, then I have a real job for you, which is to investigate the disappearance and possible murder of my niece, who was like a daughter to me, Harriet. Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. there are I was leafing through this book to like go through my quotes and stuff, Andrew. And this part of the book takes forever. It does take a super long time. Long time. Whereas I think in the movie, it's probably just four minutes of Christopher Plummer or whoever talking. And he's just like, listen, there are a lot of Nazis in my family. My my son or whatever, Gottfried, or my nephew, I don't know whoever it is, his nephew, Gottfried, was a jerk. And he was abusive. And people died early. And I sort of adopted Martin and Harriet. And then there was this day 40 years ago where a, a tanker flipped on a bridge the only bridge onto our village so yes it, and it's, so this is how the book sums it up is 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 mika hears about this entire situation where okay there was a big family like meeting on this island 
And then the only bridge on or off the island is blocked for like four hours. And yeah. in this time, Harriet disappears. Mm-hmm. And so somebody on the island must have been responsible. And this is like a, a 30 years ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah. And the only the main, the, one of the reasons why he's still obsessed with it is that Harriet gave him a flower every year on his birthday. And since she disappeared every year, somebody is sending his, has been sending him a flower, a flower. on his birthday. And every time he and gets he, it, he's like, and he's like, oh, this, jerk. this is, this is obviously a murder taunting me. Yeah. To the extent that I'm surprised that anybody could think that it would be interpreted otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so Mika hears all of this from, from, uh, Wenger and, and he sums it up very, very succinctly. I assume that something happened to Har- Harriet here on the island. Blomqvist said, and that the list of suspects consists of the finite number of people trapped here. A sort of locked room mystery in island format? It's fun. And I yeah, like that's it. what it is. <laughs> and then there's... A, okay, so let's talk about the translation a little bit. Here's... here's uh, Please. Here is... Um, what what what's the name of the the like the alcoholic father of Martin? You mentioned him earlier. Oh, uh, Gottfried. 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 Yeah. Yes, talking about Gottfried, who seemed to have promise, but also was kind of an alcoholic slacker. Yeah. Uh, this is Wenger talking. He was a charmer and good time Charlie. He was a good. He time had a Charlie. way with women, and there were periods where he drank too much. A good time Charlie. He's a good time Charlie. I am dying to. And we had somebody in the chat say that they read Swedish, but slowly. And I, when you read this book in Swedish, I do need you to tell us what "good time Charlie" is being translated <laughs> from, <laughs> because I'm dying to know. Well, that's one of those amazing things too, where it's like, is that weird because it's the translation, or is that weird because Henrik Vanger's 82? Like, it's it could be either thing. Could you know? be both. That's what, that's what I want to know. It's pretty good. good. Time, so Vanger's plan. Charlie. He goes into detail of like. There were only 60 people on the island, as you said, I think, and they checked everywhere. The only way she could have gotten out was if she was in the trunk of a car and left yeah. the next day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the But the flowers keep coming, which is scary. I'm going to give you two million kroner to stay here for a year. I didn't look up how much money that was, but it sounds like a lot. Seems like a lot. Two million of anything seems like a lot. And I'll also, here's the kicker. Give you evidence on Vennerstrom, who used to work for me 30 years ago. <laughs> now, that last part's going to be important, but yeah, it's at be the important. time, we don't know. And uh, so Mika, mostly because he has no prospects, like he he brings up to, to Wenger, like, oh, you want me to put my career on hold and just like hang up here in this like village and <laughs> investigate people for a year? Yeah. And Wenger is like, what career, though? <laughs> Like you were just, you're just convicted of libel. Like, what do you, Yeah. this is, this is it. Like, this is the only way anybody's going to pay you any money for the foreseeable future. And Mika is also like, you know, I, why would you spend this much money on me? And Vanger's like, I'm 80 years old. The only person I love is dead. Like, I'm going to give you this money one way or another. Like, just stay on my stupid island, please. I aspire to have like deathbed PI money, like whatever, whatever the biggest missed unsolved mystery of my life is when I'm yeah. into, I want to have enough to pay somebody to figure it out. Yeah, I dig it. It'd so, mostly be about whether like girls in fifth grade liked me or not. I think. Okay. 
That's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. You really want to get into those people that, you know, oh, those people I was writing live journals about. <laughs> huh. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I want to um, know the number of, of undeclared crushes I've had in my life that have been requited, please. <laughs> Not I for anything. And I, I just want to know, know for my own ones... self-esteem. No, it... I don't. I don't want them to be told that any no. of this work is happening either. No, just need. I just want a, a discreet list on my deathbed presented to me. Yeah, just so I could like feel seen and and good. Surrounded by my loving family, I do want a list of people who had a crush on me sixty years ago. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh... Just turning up old, yellowed. <laughs> I like you. Do you like me? Check one notes. <laughs> I found this box of cootie catchers. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a quick snippet of uh, Salander digging into Bloomquist's book that he published and the Vennerstrom stuff. The investigation into him gets dropped after Bloomquist accepts the offer. And Salander's like, that's weird. I don't like that. So mm-hmm. she's like invested in this and and we get the sense that she's going to figure it out wherever it goes. She did get this cool high-tech hacking gadget. We don't really know what she's going to do with it. She calls it a cuff and mm-hmm. we're going to find out more about that later in the book. Um, we sure are. Part two, uh, we are, Mika goes to Hedestad. So this is this is the good part of the book. This is and, a pretty good the, part of the this, book. Not to say that ends bad or starts bad but like this is clearly what the book is this is why the book is readable at all is this middle part about the harriet mystery parts two and parts three the book is four parts and an epilogue parts two and three are the strongest in the book the beginning of part two is like yo did you know that it got cold here it's very cold it's very cold up here in northern sweden it's cold i'm gonna put on all these clothes because of how cold it is and he stays uh, in the guest house, so he's not beholden to Vanger as closely, and he does have to get a phone and internet and, and DSL, and DSL. he does need that DSL hookup. Um, a cat shows up and starts mm-hmm. you know, living with him, which is cool. He goes on a walk around the village, and we learn about Isabella, the old mean lady, Harold, the old mean Nazi, uh, Martin, the guy we talked about before, Cecilia, the hot lady, I guess. What is her deal? <laughs> the sad sister, I suppose, is maybe she's the more accurate. Like, she's like divorced. She, and... She's all, okay. So like almost like most of the women who we spend significant time with in the book, she is a victim of uh, some form of abuse. Her husband, mm-hmm. she is not. They're not divorced. Because no one in this because family divorces in the family ever. Does that for some reason, it must be like a curse that was placed upon them by a goblin in yeah. the 1300s <laughs> or something. She is living on this island with the rest of her family. There's a guy named Gunner. There's a Gerda, who's an old sick lady, and her son Alexander. I this is like if Batman went to a village and he walked down the street and it's like, oh, there's the Joker. There's Poison <laughs> Ivy. There's there's Calendar Man. Like there's all my greatest villains walking down the street. It is the a opening of Arkham Asylum for sure. There's a lot of people in the chat asking about the cat. And I just need you to like find a cookie. So uh, don't get attached to the cat. Don't, don't worry about the cat. Don't worry it's not about important. it. The um, cat <laughs> Marcy says the cat's name is Good Time Charlie, which is <laughs> which I think is fine. <laughs> um he brings to the island a suitcase with 
books, CDs and a CD player, notebooks, a Sanyo tape recorder, a Microtech scanner, a portable inkjet printer, a Minolta digital camera, and a number of other items he regarded as essential kit for a year in exile. A lot of brand names. There's also a, there's a, there's a point where he mentions a specific text editing program that he uses yeah. and then puts the URL for it in parentheses. I have, there are, um, archival sites for old Mac software where I believe that this app is preserved. It's mm. got a notepad. The original URL was ibrium.se. Okay. And yeah, he just, he expounds briefly about the value of shareware. <laughs> Because that's the year that it is. I love it. So that's that's one run where we get technology. This other this while this is all happening to our buddy Mika, and he's getting set up in the in the cold with his DSL and his his sex partner. I'm with you in the moving on. I'll just say he spends the most time with Martin, who is affable and likes jazz, and Cecilia, who is sad and wants to have sex. Those are the two people we spend the most time with on the island with Mika talk about the technology with elizabeth monica says that uh she's getting uh wilson vibes from you with your mic placement wilson from home improvement i assume with the i you know i take that compliment and i think of the two of us like you're the wilson and i'm the tim allen because i've just got a lot of of stuff to say about liberals and and people who just want handouts and that kind of stuff i feel like every computer project you embark on in your free time does mm-hmm. feel like a like a tim the tool man soup up the car yeah. it needs put like, up the christmas Craig, decorations Craig, the, compu- the computer needs more power in these unprecedented times we need to be able to run zoom and zoom is a bad app and it needs a lot of processors power mm-hmm. um so, <laughs> all right. So, technology in this book, you got a lot of you got a lot of brand names mentioned. Uh huh. So while um, Mika is doing all this stuff, uh, Lisbeth is she is dealing with this situation with her new uh, caretaker person, like her her advocate. So the deal, I, I think the deal in the movies is that she's just like on parole for some undisclosed crime. In the book, it's very particular to how Sweden treated people who were not seen as like capable of taking care of themselves yes. at a certain yeah. point in time. I yep. don't think it is like this anymore, but she is declared as a child, like mentally unfit and she's got this guardian. And for a while it was a guy who was cool and who would just kind of let her live her life and was there to be like a, a resource for her and somebody for her to lean on, like how you, you would hope that a relationship like that would work. And you get this new guy who is very uh, sadistic and abusive. And I don't know how much we want to get into it because this is the skeeviest stuff in the book and i think probably also the most triggering from this perspective so yeah but while uh, we are dealing with uh, lisbeth's perspective we get a very painstaking description of the computer that she's using because her backpack gets run over by a car with her laptop in it it's very sad and very, very haunting. So Larson Larson gives us the book briefly becomes an Apple ad. <laughs> the rucksack contained her white Apple iBook 600 with a 25 gig hard drive and 420 megs of RAM. Manufactured in January 2002 and equipped with a 14 inch screen, at the time she bought it, it was Apple's state of the art laptop. 
Salander's computers were upgraded with the very latest and sometimes most expensive configurations. Computer equipment was the only extravagant entry on her list of expenses. And I just, I gotta give it to Larson. One, for thinking that a list of computer specs would be impressive to anybody reading this book at any time more than six months in the future from what the time when it was being written. <laughs> and to like, I just more books. I feel like I need to know how many megabytes of RAM your computer has. Yeah. Can you I'm just interested? I'm just interested in knowing the capabilities of, of your system. And that tells me something about you as your, as a person and, and what you care about. I had to do a double take because my understanding of computers, you know, this about me Andrew. you've helped me through a long period of time in my life of not really knowing much about computers. When yeah. I was in middle school, I think I knew that the desktop I had to play TIE Fighter on had four megs of RAM. Mm-hmm. And I had to use a lot of boot disks. And <laughs> I know now... Because those old games, you needed to use boot disks to boot it into DOS because there wasn't enough room <laughs> on most computers for Windows and a game to yeah, run simultaneously. <laughs> and for this, the computer I have now, which you've helped me build, I think I have like 8 or 16 gigs of RAM. You have, you have 16 Thank gigs you. of, of I 3200 kind of, megahertz uh, DDR4. I was not aware that uh computers had hundreds of megs of ram i think i missed that the, transition period so in yes in in the late 90s early 2000s you would want you know you'd want 128 256 if you're going to run uh the later mac os 9 releases or like you know your windows 98 second edition yeah yeah if you want to run those well you would measure it in the hundreds we're getting some fact checks from the chat andrew in the film they do talk about Lisbeth being under some form of conservatorship. Okay. Which is okay, why okay. we've also yeah, been I, getting... I was going off of a, um, a, a synopsis I yeah, had sure, read, sure. which which might not have been. And I didn't But my, my impression was that the film just like doesn't dive that far I didn't remember it. it at all. And I was honestly very struck by how much time Larson takes to point out how like the doctors were failing Lisbeth, how... Uh, just kind of by the grace of this one guy, she was in a decent situation, which is not like it's not meant to make him seem like a hero. It's meant to more just show how precarious her situation is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so then she, do you want to talk about the Apple PowerBook G4 at all? So because the that's the one she why, wants to buy. I don't okay, want to change she, this So bit. she she got that computer ran over. Then she wants to buy. She need you know she has an older desktop Mac G3 at home, of course, as well as a five year old Toshiba PC laptop that she could use. But she needed a fast modern machine. She right? did. And to hack. so unsurprisingly, says the book. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> she set her sights on the best available alternative: the new Apple PowerBook G4 slash 1.0 gigahertz what? in an aluminum case with a PowerPC 7451 processor with an Altavec Velocity engine, 916 megabytes of RAM, and a 60 GB hard, 60 gigabyte hard drive. It had Bluetooth and built-in CD and DVD burners. Best of all, it had the first 17-inch screen in the laptop world with an NVIDIA graphics and a resolution of 1440 by 900. Pixels, which shook the PC advocates and outranked everything else on the market. In terms of hardware, it was the Rolls Royce of portable computers. So I got a couple things here. One, PC advocates, I think, is a translation note for me because yeah. clearly the meaning it's behind Power that is fanboys. Yeah, PC okay. fanboys okay. did not like this laptop because it owned them so bad. Two. 
he got the processor wrong, Craig. Oh no! <laughs> it's a it's. A, I looked and I looked and I looked. This computer came with a seventy four fifty five and not a seventy four fifty one. Seventy four fifty one was available in the previous generation PowerBook. Huh. So that was very disappointing to have a book finally give me computer specs of the protagonist and to not even get them 100% right. It was just, we, it was heartbreaking. We have no evidence that Larson was paid for any of this. We don't know that that's true. It's just mm-hmm. like, maybe? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, she was, very, <laughs> she was very jazzed about that laptop because it had a backlit keyboard. It had a backlit keyboard, yes. Um, so simple. Why had no one thought of that before? It's We're having a lot of fun with this bit because the scene that is a result of this section sucks, and it's very <laughs> not fun to talk about on a goofy book podcast because what happens is she needs this computer to do her work. She goes to Bierman. It's like the second or third meeting that they've had together. He's already proven to her that he sucks really bad, by yep. the questions he's asking her and how he's treating her. Mm-hmm. And to he has taken control of her bank accounts, which she was like kind of dealing with before, thanks to Palmgrim. And uh, he first like forces her uh, to engage in like sexual acts in his office um, for in exchange for money. And then she embarks then on a, a, it's just a really gross it's really gross line that he that he thinks that it is it is better than hiring a prostitute because he's paying her with her own money that belongs to her anyway. Yeah. It's it's just all like, about geez. exploitation and power. Ugh. And I, I think there are parts of me I don't think that the book does this super gracefully. There's a reference to it later in the novel. I think Larson is drawing it's not a coincidence that he's drawing a lot of parallels between these like financial criminals who exploit people and these like individual murderous rapist guys. Like he's connecting dots there. I don't think it's particularly elegant, but it is there for us to think about as like what what do powerful men do? Like that's just mm-hmm. what like and he he has a worldview on what powerful men do and he's here to show you every permutation of it and most of the time it sucks to look at. Yeah. Um so her revenge plan, she thinks she rules out all of her options and embarks on a revenge plan that does involve going to his house being assaulted again. Much more graphically this time in a way that honestly I don't want to talk about. Nope, I don't want to talk about it either. Um, and then it is worth noting that just like she rules out the police, she rules out the government, she rules out it's because she's like I, and she also rules out killing the guy because she then realizes if she kills him, she can't blackmail him into having control of her own finances. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, she goes back to him a third time, tases him, tortures him reveals that she videotaped the second encounter like tattoos on his body that he is like a sadist and a like rapist. A sadist rapist yeah um and then we never hear from that character again in the book so that's and that is something that i've i've read a little bit about this book is like the she gets revenge on this guy for what he did to her and it's portrayed as as very much a you did this thing to me. I did this thing to you. And now I'm not going to think about it anymore. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's any one way that people like respond to trauma or process trauma, but that 
she sort of downplays her own trauma a lot, I feel, is something that's kind of underexplored in the book. And I don't get the impression that it's explored very much in the subsequent books, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. But like... This I I feel like this is the kind of stuff that would maybe stick with you a little bit more than just like well I got I got mine and I'm gonna move on and and have a totally healthy sexual relationship with this washed up journalist that I'm gonna start sleeping yeah with. Like it, it just it it rings pretty hollow to to me and I'm I don't I don't know what I have to I don't have notes about like how to improve it or make it better no, or whatever. No. It's just like it, it is a if you're reading this book now it is definitely one of the weirder things to like try and reconcile is like you see this absolutely horrible stuff happen to this woman and then her like it's just apparently and then just things like go on after that. I don't know. So my my two responses to that I'm with you on the fact that it's because it's not in this book at all it it's the it's the downside of what I think is like he had this long arc planned for this character mm-hmm. who is the heart of this book from his mind, but like his plot is really about Mika and the Harriet mystery. And so as soon as he's done with this scene, <laughs> he moves on. There's an article on Bustle um, by Sheena Kamal from 2018. Violent sexual crimes are rampant in thrillers, but what about the healing process? And she writes a lot about what you just talked about, Andrew. Like, this novel does not show much of whatever Lisbeth's, like, after process is. And maybe she's not someone who has healed or whatever. You know, like, I don't know. I encourage people to go read that if they are if they read this book and bounced off it or if they just want to think more about it. Because well, and, and maybe, it's in, and hold... maybe it's in the rest of the novel. Maybe it's in the other novels. And we, yeah, like, this stuff comes back in the plot. And maybe well, it gets and, and, dealt with. I don't know. And to try, try to keep us honest, like I, I think one of the things we we both had to say about the last Hunger Games book, or, or you know, the, mm, the third mm-hmm. one, not not counting the the prequel. But yeah, yeah. That to have a protagonist so like dominated, I guess, by their own trauma, or so like mm, mm-hmm. wrapped up in their own trauma. I'm I'm probably I don't I don't know. It, it, that that is also not like not a pleasant thing to read about. So like I don't know what yep. like what balance do you try to strike? It, it's it's these are just interesting thorny creative questions. I don't have any answers. No, I'm only responding to the book as I read it. <laughs> yeah, and so what what is interesting is then she after that happens she is now I guess free to become part of Mika's plot again <laughs> yeah she so, just kind of like th- that that villain is she has defeated the boss monster and now she gets to move on to the next level of the of the book and yeah we, we need to we need to keep moving start. yeah totally yeah, no it's fine um, that, Mika goes to jail for a few months it's fine he had a good time there it's fine he has a great time he gets some writing done and he describes it as a vacation later okay awesome he comes back to the village he starts sleeping with Cecilia again and then Erica shows up, uh, catches them, but they have like an open relationship. And Celia have we can't... talked about Erica at all? Like she's the Barely. she's like a co partner at yeah. Millennium. Somebody who he's she's married to somebody else, but they've had like a an on again off again like open relationship kind of thing going for like two decades. Yeah, and and she's oddly cool. Well, not oddly, given their situation, she's cool with the um, Cecilia thing, but. Over the course of a few days, we learn that like Cecilia is not cool with that situation. And I think the function of the Cecilia 
like what is Mika doing with her thing is mostly there so that the was Cecilia involved in Harriet's murder disappearance thing aloft? Like, I, yes, I, I think it's it's there to make him suspect her less and make us suspect her more. Correct. And you rightfully pointed out to me earlier today that like this is a book about a journalist who gets a lot of tail. A book and... about a middle-aged <laughs> journalist who pulls a lot of tail. And that's like, I don't want to, <laughs> not everything that happens in a book is autobiographical, but... <laughs> Some of it's aspirational, I think. It's maybe. just you know, it's it's just it's just there. Well, and, and, <laughs> and I what are we supposed to do with that? there are there are, have been critiques of this book where it's like, yes, it's taking this very strong stance on violence against women and sexual violence, and then also there's this guy who's just like rolling into villages, sleeping with everybody who wa- he wants to, and then like moving on to other relationships. I just, don't remember which which piece it was that said but like he sleeps with every likable female character in yeah the book, basically yeah yeah he does um anyway <laughs> lara describes it as self-insert fan fiction which is a uh, hey oh hey <laughs> <laughs> um okay so we get to the, the there's a couple breakthroughs in the harriet mystery that he goes on to we there's a whole plot involving um, a photo of Harriet at the children's parade that same day. Mm-hmm. She was looking at something off camera and it scared her. And uh, Mika finds a, that there's another guy. There's a Wal- where's Waldo guy in that photo who also had a camera. <laughs> and so there's a whole subplot little scene where he tracks down some old people who were on their honeymoon at the time and gets a photo from them. And so this is why this book works for me and Dan Brown stuff does not is like, this is actual, this is actual like shoe leather investigative work. I enjoy, I know he's going to run down the, like it's going to be totally improbable. He's going to run down the person he's looking for and he's going to find some evidence and like, maybe it won't be exactly what he wanted, but it will help him get the you know it will help him unravel the mystery yeah yeah where when you're reading a dan brown thing you're just watching robert langdon pace around a room and think really hard until he (laughs) figures it out and the the two scenes are supposed to be doing the same thing but one is interesting and one is not well and a lot of times it's interesting because like he is going and meeting a new character and you like hang out with that sweet old lady at the nursing home for a few pages and then you move on or um there's the whole thing where in Harriet's address book, there were a bunch of names and numbers, and then you find out that she was getting into religion in her last two years after something had changed and she was different after her father died. And he, like, what is it? Mika's daughter comes to town to visit him for a day or two, and he's like, she comes in and just like, <laughs> I'm going casually to Bible drops camp. a clue and then like disappears. And late, much, much later in the book, Mika's like, I'm a bad father. Yeah. <laughs> but then he doesn't really think about it other than that. No, he doesn't. She's like, cool Bible verses, dad. And then she goes off to Bible camp. And, and he's, he's like, like wait, Bible verses? Bible verses? Um, that's this why, sends the investigation into a whole new direction. That's why he hires Sounder. And so our mm-hmm. two protagonists come together because he needs someone to look up the Bible verse murders um, while he goes off and tracks down the photograph. Um, and while this is happening, we're getting a picture of a bunch of murders that happened from 1949 to 1966. 
we know that that doesn't map cleanly to Gottfried because Gottfried died. He died, yeah. Uh, in like 1965. We're getting to the bottom of the the pictures. There's a thing where someone that Harriet was looking at was wearing a coat with a patch on it that's distinctive. And there's another photo where a blonde lady was in Harriet's room on the time that she disappeared. So all of that is to point us at a bunch of different people. Um, meanwhile, other things are happening, like Henrik has a heart attack, and Lisbeth and uh, Mika start banging. <laughs> like that. Yeah, like it's the I don't even know if it's worth like detailing how their disparate plot lines finally start to intersect. But I think it is. So Henrik has the heart attack. He's in the hospital, and then his lawyer, whose name you attempted to yeah, pronounce earlier <laughs> i've been watching a lot of belgian the mole andrew i've got some good northern That's, european accents yeah, happening sure belgians i think the people on the stieg larsen forums would tell you that belgian belgium and sweden and like denmark they aren't the same dirk but uh, so he lets slip to mika that he was background checked yeah by before this whole thing went down and and that's how Mika and Elizabeth finally meet each other is she was so thorough in background checking and in fact included in her report a draft copy of like an announcement about him leaving Millennium that had not been published yet. And so uh, he realizes, yes. oh, she's a hacker, which was very <laughs> matrixy to me also. It was like, oh, she's a hacker. She hacked my computer. And this is a, whether it's technologically sound or not, this is a... This is one of those books where hacking is just like you just like wave your hands and it means that everybody has unlimited access to everything that's on the computer. Yeah, I love it. He wakes up one day and she's looking at something from his computer and he's like, That was password protected. And she's like, Welp. And he goes, Welp. And makes some, as Sarah points out in the chat, more coffee and sandwiches, which is what they eat throughout the whole book. Coffee and sandwiches. The fact that. She, that he doesn't really get mad at her as they're working together and is kind of like he asks questions about her but then doesn't probe and doesn't seem annoyed that she doesn't want to share those things kind of boil over into her being like i guess i'm attracted to him let's have sex and just like comes into his room and is like okay. we're gonna have sex now and he's let's like do it. all right i mean i've done it with everybody else in this book so far and you know her her arc with him is like she's someone who for very good reasons that we see in the book wants to maintain a lot of emotional distance from people um she will sleep with people but there's something disarming about him the one good man the one good man thinking back to the original swedish title of the book which is men who hate women this this one guy who doesn't seem like a total butthead yep and she is feeling very attached to him she is um some other stuff happens. All of the women, they crack the Bible code. It's all women with Jewish biblical names, which points to the whole neo-Nazi thing in the Wanger yeah. family. And and so they discover that, that there's this rash of murders that happen all up and down the country from the 40s to the 60s or 70s. Yep where these women are like brutally murdered in ways that seem like really exaggerated, very literal readings of Bible verses. Oh, this and is, they, um, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And and they they do not know who did it because it doesn't map cleanly onto Gottfried because he died, like you said, and like they don't know who who else would be doing it. But it does seem like it does seem like that's the link, like that's the thing that's going on. And they're they're at one point when he comes back to the cottage, somebody has come through and rooted around and stuff. So it's somebody. Yeah, so it's on obvious the, he's getting close to something. Um, oh. After they bone for the first time, they wake up and. The cat doesn't make it. I'm not going to be more specific than that because I don't want to upset the animal lovers who might be listening. But the, the cat is used to the cat is used to send a message to our protagonist, and I'm truly sorry about the cat. Yeah, um, and it's very sad. And uh, they later find out where that cat thing happened, and it's clear that the person is on the has access to the family crypt and is clearly unhinged, um, and. I don't know. I think in my notes, after they kind of go through the Gottfried stuff and they're trying to figure out that it was Gottfried and maybe someone else. Um, maybe an older person and a younger person. Yeah, maybe. Master and apprentice. All of this they're is only, like... There are only two. <laughs> it's like the... Dang it. Um, <laughs> Do you hear this tale about Darth Vanger the Wise? Um, Darth Vanger. They don't... They're going to... I don't remember what how... It, it winds up being like he is working on something with the photographs and she is going to go to the Vanger HQ basically and look through all of their press clippings. Yeah. She's looking through press clippings and photographs. He's like looking at stuff like he gets shot at a couple of times. And so he like the, the intensity and ha- has been ratcheted up. No longer are we investigating some weird crimes that happened 30 years ago, but we are now investigating something where somebody is so desperate for us not to find out that they are now in 2003, just completely ignoring the fact that I need to live to use my iBook and they're trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody so- in the chat's very sad about the cat. I'm very, I'm sorry. No, I know. Uh, I'm sorry that Stig Larson did this to you. <laughs> So she goes off to to try and map out, oh, there's this other weird beat where they're going through the Bible verses and she starts quoting them verbatim and Mika's like, you're an autodidact. And she's yeah, like, you I have need to leave the room. Memory. Every time he deducts a thing about her, like she's a hacker, she's an autodidact, like she gets intensely upset that somebody has peeled back another layer of her mystery that she's cultivated around herself and she has to leave so he sends her off to do the 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 clerical they get get separated there's a there's a thing it turns out that it's it's martin the ceo of the company he has been like yeah tracking and and tormenting and killing women for decades in his basement he has a murder room. everything that he knows about them as the CEO of this company to make sure that they are people who nobody would come looking for. And it's just this whole. It is very focused uh, on women who are immigrants, who for him, it is easier to like there's information to find. He is making them disappear. Um, it's really silly the way that Mika just wa- like Mika's like, mm, I think it's Martin. Elizabeth's not around. I should go talk to him. I should he, go talk to him, who I'm pretty sure he's a murderer. And maybe he shot at me earlier. Oh, wait, he still has that gun from earlier? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and he gets locked in the dungeon. And he gets monologued at a little bit. We learn 
Everybody in the chat is very unsurprised that it's the evil CEO yeah. in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Which is um, chief evil officer, am I right? Oh, no. Um, we learned that Mika doesn't know what happened to Harriet. That's one of the big reveals. No, down no, in the uh, uh, um, Martin doesn't know. Oh, Martin, Mark, yes. The, that Mika doesn't know is the whole plot engine of the <laughs> Sorry. book. Sorry, that Martin, who's been killing all these women, doesn't know what happened to Harriet, is where New the rest of the mystery of the book. So it turned. Okay, what Elizabeth? We, we're, saves running, we're running super long. Yeah. So so uh, Elizabeth comes in, saves Mika from his own stupidity, and Martin drives into oncoming traffic as he's running from her and he's he's done yeah but but like his his basement room is still down there um the cops are not called the cops are not called because elizabeth does not want to involve the cops she does go through and like burn a bunch of specific evidence about the individual women who he has tormented after watching a lot of it i think to take pictures with her camera memory yep yep um and then it they they keep tracking stuff down. I forget the exact sequence of clues, but it turns out Harriet, not dead, actually living in Australia, running a very successful business. It has to do with a cousin of hers. And she's, she's, yeah. And then she comes back from the dead and is clearly going to be the CEO of Vanger moving forward. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. We haven't really talked at all, and it's not super germane, just like the the millennium plot throughout the book, which returns for the last hundred pages of the book in a weird way. Um, yeah. So the, the Harriet part of the book is like, we meet Harriet and find out that she's alive again. And there's this whole subplot where the Vanger family agrees to like prop up millennium yep, yep. financially because the, like the, the companies that are run by the evil. What's his name are all pulling their advertisements from millennium. And so they're on the ropes and then the Vanguard company comes in and says they're gonna they're gonna be this ballast and they're they're gonna be the Jeff Bezos for this independent financial mm-hmm, magazine mm-hmm. with six people who work at it. Yep. Um, there's a whole part where they dupe. Um, there's a mole inside Millennium reporting to Venerstrom, and they dupe him. And they dupe him and they scoop him and they they spoop him. I like when Bloomquist is holding a meeting and he's he writes on the board no emails. <laughs> no one's allowed <laughs> to send emails about how good the company's doing. They all have to come up with fake emails about how bad the company's doing. I wish somebody would say that in a meeting that I was a part of. No emails. No emails. Um, and while this is happening, we also learn that Lizbeth was hacking Venerstrom. She's with been her, hacking everybody this whole time. There's nobody she, who she's not hacking with her she, amazing hacking skills. She has information that proves that he is this kind of financial mafioso involved which, in illegal arms deals. Which is good because it turns out that Wenger didn't have any information about nope. him in the first place. And that yep. he had been lying that whole time because he didn't seriously think... <laughs> he didn't seriously think that Mika would turn up anything. And so he's just kind of lying to this, mm-hmm. him this whole mm-hmm. time. And there's this this... So Harriet is alive. She comes back to the uh, to to Sweden, and she she meets Henrik, and and it's you know it's a family reunion, and things things seem to be going okay. But then, oh, Mika yeah. is like, well, I'm so I was supposed to write this book about your family, and now I can't write this book about your family without talking about your nephew's like murder basement and your nieces like running to Australia and coming back. And Henrik sends him this note that is like. My, I am begging you 
as a human being, not as a journalist, as a human being to do to to not do this. Yeah. And Elizabeth um talks them into donating a bunch of a bunch of money to um charities that that help like seek justice for for women who have been abused. So like I guess good for her, but it's implied that this is some kind of big journalistic line for Mika to cross that he really hates crossing. Yep. And a lot of moral compromising going on. And also he's got because he was like tied up and like he had this like leather strap around his neck. Oh, that, he was uh, going to be sexually abused. Yeah, that yeah. that Martin had had done. He's got like these these literal and and like mental wounds that are going to stay with him for the rest of his life. Except uh-oh, part 4, we have to get back to the financial crimes. <laughs> And it's like, this is a whole different, it's like, this is a sequel to the first part of the book that has almost nothing to do with the middle two parts of the book. It really doesn't. It's so weird. He writes this sick book. They publish all these crimes. And and all these columns, like bringing Vennerstrom down with all this information that Elizabeth hacked. And he's doing this whole like full court press thing. And even though at the end of book three, it's like, oh, this, he's probably going to have this scar from this letter thing that happened to him the rest of his life the rest of his life nobody who's interviewing about any any of these financial crimes is like wow you disappeared for a while and now you're back with this bombshell story against this guy who successfully got you convicted of libel like literally a year ago yeah what's the deal with that mark around your neck like what happened to you? like nobody what the <laughs> <laughs> well and like while it that makes, is happening uh, and and the book, the book is presenting it as, and this is what was frustrating to me. The book is presenting this Venerstrom thing as if it's like the Panama Papers or the Pandora Papers, <laughs> and he's the he's the one guy who's in charge of like every illegal arms sale to every yes, like and bad government in the entire world. Apparently. And Liz, and it's not just that it's like the Pandora Papers. Imagine Andrew if the world read the Panama Papers and then did anything about it. Like that is what this sure. book supposes is that. A government might do something about it. It supposes that not people e- not on even Wall a, not Street even a, would would buy more moral stocks. Yep, the- <laughs> not even not even government. It, impl- it implies that anybody who works with with <laughs> large quantities of money in any way would change their behavior the, at all. The best interests of society over their interest in making more it's, money. It, it is and it's like, it's wild. It is wild. The extent to which bringing down this one, like a mildly corrupt dude has changed the world order, not only in the realm of finance, but also in the realm of journalism. Yeah. Because every, <laughs> every finance journalist who wasn't Mika is apparently a big jerk who <laughs> Only who's like a who's a lick spittle and doesn't write any work worth. Yeah, worth. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I'm, so, uh, I'm still so mad. No rats. No rats. One twenty two in the chat says the writer's fantasy that all of society will be revolutionized by written ideas. Yeah, I mean that is like that is what the novel hopes could happen. It is interesting that it has Lisbeth as a counter because Lisbeth also uncovers that Venerstrom like. Has a physically secret, like office space style account where he skims like hundreds of percentages of dollar figures off the top of yes. deals and sends them to another. This is I always think of the movie Office Space when I think of this specific genre of crime. Because, <laughs> yes, yeah. and and also that he had uh, a he he had impregnated a woman and then co- phys- had, phys- had that woman physically coerced into having an abortion, and so Elizabeth is now like personally not just motivated by 
all of the Mika stuff, but is like, okay, he is a man who hates women, women alongside with the other men in this book. So she goes on this like, I don't know. This chapter she steals was like, all his money. She steals it's a very, all his money. It's Ocean's, she, dresses, she does o- spy stuff. It's Ocean's one, it essentially, is. <laughs> where it's just Elizabeth. And it ultimately leads to him dying in Florida because he doesn't have any money and some guy like comes to collect. What a And what a place to go, you know? And then her and Mika like have their thing going on and it's Christmas time and she's going to give him an Elvis CD and she sees him walking out of a coffee shop with Erica and she, th- I think the last line of the book is like she threw Elvis in the dumpster or something. Yeah. The end. Yeah. It's a weird end of the book, right? I didn't dis I didn't dislike the book. I thought the middle part of the book was like pretty good mystery stuff despite all of the super awful sex things that like led up to it, but this fourth part of the book is so I was strange. Reading it, I was like is this really is this Are we not even we're not even like the people from the middle part of the book? Where he uncovered this whole mystery where the like heiress of this family had disappeared for decades and now was back. She just like doesn't factor into like they exchange a couple of emails and it's just not a thing. This is one of the reasons why Lisbeth not dealing more with her trauma stuck out to me is because this book. The book has a very like compartmentalized sort of way of of dealing with things in general. Like it, it, it. it treats this like financial like Vennerstrom section and this like Island locker room mystery part in the middle as like two completely separate things that have like a passing relationship to each other. Yeah. 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 And, and I didn't, I don't dislike either book. I think the, the, the locked room Island mystery book is the better of the two books, but they're, they're both like reasonably compelling. It's like, what do you do? This is such a wild way to construct a book. (laughs) Yeah, and it's even like, even down to more micro moments where, I don't know if you remember this, Andrew, like the sequence where Mika is like starting to sleep with Cecilia and like they're having a good time is interwoven. He's cutting back and forth from that scene to uh, Lisbeth going to the terrible Guardian for the yeah. first time. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so he is like, ba- he's I, he's doing it deliberately. He's counterbalancing this like positive sexual encounter with this horrific one. Um, but yeah, his sense of structure is just very odd. And it feels like, you know, and I don't know what the next couple books are going to do because it's like, does the Millennium stuff keep going? It's but called the, the Millennium Trilogy. I, that might be a retroactive name I, I even if it is retroactive like obviously that is supposed to be the through line like it's not the not the Lisbeth Salander book it's not the the Mika Bloom, Bloomquist book it's the Millennium Trilogy Monica says that the financial stuff is the Tom Bombadil of this book Andrew I don't think that's wrong there's less okay. singing <laughs> uh, and somebody else asked if this is a Christmas book it does take place from Christmas to Christmas so all of this happened in a let's, year. Let's, All of this, this happened in one year. In one the whole financial year. Let's, system let's, of Sweden was changed. Let's slay the dragon of Die Hard is a Christmas movie discourse this year. It is. And so. replace it with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as a Christmas book. Mm. Discuss. 
go out into no, the world. No, I don't have anything else. No, to no, no. Oh, I'm you're telling the people at home. Go out okay. into the world and discuss. Try to. Yes. But Bill. We can, we can make this happen. Be careful who you watch this as a Christmas movie with. It's very upsetting. I can't say that it's a Christmas movie. I'm just saying the book is a Christmas book. Okay. Did you know, Andrew, in the torture sequence of Mika in the movie that uh, Skarsgård plays Orinoco Flo while they're in the murder basement? The Sail Away song? Yeah. It's messed <laughs> up. It's messed up. It's so rough. Why would you play the same Enya music in a massage parlor and your torture chamber? Like, what are we... I've got to respect that choice, though. Who... I don't... Wow. I can't remember what if it was... What a good choice. I can't remember if it was Daniel Craig or Skarsgård. Somebody, like, one of the actors is rumored to have, thought, like, suggested it on set. It's pretty nuts. That's, I mean... I, and movies that Enya is known for, Lord of the Rings, and I guess Girl the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, that's true. How I, I want to know what Enya feels about that. It's, they had to get the rights, I guess. Yeah. Someone talked to Enya about this. Anyway, um, oh, thanks Enya. for talking about this book with me, Andrew. God, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, everybody, for joining us for our 500th episode um it's been a real blast to make these podcasts we've been doing them for a good long time and i don't know we're not stopping we're just gonna keep making them no we're just gonna keep going it's and it's it is fun to we, we do this with with patrons a lot and that's not yep. a plug for the patreon project patreon.com slash every pod not a plug that was a plug where i mentioned the url <laughs> hashtag not a plug People are talking about how we should we should do everyone live, and I don't have like a philosophical objection to that. But I also don't think that usually people want to be hanging around at ten forty five p.m. Eastern on a Sunday night, a, <laughs> which is when yeah. we normally record. It's it's more about scheduling for us than it is about like trying to gatekeep or, or, or like yeah. restrict it. To if a it were a f- if it, if this were either of ours full time job, I think we'd be able to set that up but for now we're able to keep it as a semi-monthly offering um and i'm i'm certainly up for for trying to do more live stuff like this especially as we are just like we remain unable to do regular live shows we i I think we are going to get back to it um once i can get henry vaccinated yeah yeah yeah, i will will feel better about uh Doing some in person stuff to, for sure. Yeah, traveling to to other places and 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 seeing like big groups of other people. It's, it is about him for me at this point. Yeah. So like, hopefully, sometime in twenty twenty two, people. A lot of people in the chat are talking about being from, uh, from like the D.C. area, from Northern Virginia. Please go vote. Um, we would we would like to do that. It, you know, we are just we're just waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> um we do you can email us at overduepod at gmail.com i did pull a few quick notes from folks who were very nice to us sent in some notes Otto uh shared that they recently moved to a new town and have about a half hour commute to and from work and have been listening to a lot of podcasts discovered overdue a few weeks ago and have listened to maybe 40 hours worth already um also says that they're embarking on infinite jest good luck uh <laughs> i wanted to share that because right a lot word. of folks have shared with us that like we're part of their commute or part of their routine um and we have podcasts for whom that is that is ours and so it's very meaningful to be that for you who are listening um lexi sent in and said that they've been listening for almost two years and shared it with a lot of friends and they have a google doc where they put quotes from the show andrews i'm just going to share a couple yeah, that lexi see. shared with us 
see if you can think about when probably you were the one who said most of these um, said them. As the Star Wars prequels can teach us, sometimes explaining it more doesn't help. (laughs) Uh, Here's my theory about fandom is that all fandom everywhere is horrible. No, that's that's right. That's that's, that's my overarching theory of fandom as well. But you have to be versed in fandom or else you couldn't say, we can't all be Harry Potter. Someone has to be the Ron. If you look around the table and you don't see the Ron, you are the Ron. I don't think you need to be involved in fandom to know who the secondary protagonist of the world's biggest book series <laughs> is. But sure. Uh, and apparently one of us said that Bella is the anything but rap or country of people. Sounds like you might have said that. I don't know how I feel about that. Bella, Bella's personality, here's the full quote. Bella's whole personality is like basically the answer to when someone asks you what kind of music you like and you say anything but rap or country. <laughs> yes, it is a lack of, lack of adventurousness masquerading as a personality trait. I uh, guess that's not very flattering for us, but I'm glad that somebody reminded me that I said that. And Klee wrote in and said, choose your own adventure stories were one of our my favorite things growing up. When I was 14, I discovered my love of podcasts eventually leading me to search for any podcast with choose your own adventure books lo and behold you existed and what a joy that's been i mostly it goes on to say that they fall asleep to us as a cure for insomnia which is a sign of a good podcast if you're willing to listen to us to go to sleep to i wanted to share that because someone discovering podcasts at the age of 14 turned me into a mummy i aged instantly upon reading that sentence I'm very. I, mean, I think old we've talked about how to I'm, get into my crypt now. I'm never gonna age or die, so like it's fine. Like be as young as you want. I guess is my it's my <laughs> it's enough. my takeaway. I'm um, fine. You can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at Overdue Pod. Thanks to everybody who joined us. Thanks to everyone who's been very excited for us for this 500th episode, and everybody who's been listening and sharing the show. Thanks to Nick Lorandis who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? They go to OverduePodcast.com, our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts and RSS and some other stuff probably that needs to be updated. I'm not very good at it. But it's listen, in my defense, Google changes the name and like yeah. back end of its podcast product once every eight months or so. So how can every how can anybody be expected to keep up with that is my question. And the answer is nobody can be. Uh, we also have, as we mentioned earlier, Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Uh, if you support us there, thank you so much. That means the world to us. If you do not, we understand and your fandom is no less valid yep. <laughs> for like not involving money. Like that is not, that's not a, anything that is ever released to patrons will eventually make it out to anybody. And that, that is a hard Promise. rule for both of us. Yep. It's like we, We're not trying to keep stuff behind a gate forever. Um, and then uh, if you want to read along with us, we have links to bookshop.org for the books that we have read and are going to read. You use those. We get a small cut. You support us. You support your local bookstore and you get a book. And that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Keep an and eye on our social feeds. We'll announce a November schedule sometime in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed to get this one done. You'll Next week, if you're not a patron, you can find on the main feed our final Spooktober bonus episode. Uh, what is it called? Haunted, Haunted Ohio, Ohio. Tales from the Buckeye State. Chris Woodyard. <laughs> um, I we haven't recorded that yet. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I can't It'll wait. Probably be a great. Um, be great. all right, Andrew. Thanks for recording 500 episodes of this wonderful podcast with me. Yeah, I mean, 
It's fine. Yeah, we have a good time. Yeah, it's like a it's modestly successful business, so you know. And we make people happy. <laughs> I'm a big jerk. You're like a brother to me, and I'm so glad that we do this thing that has kept yeah. us close and has meant a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. And that's as many emotions as I am going to have in public today. So until we talk to you, (laughs) stop. Until we talk to you next time, everybody, thank you so much for coming. And for the next 500 episodes, try to be happy. was a headgum podcast.